I love Burn the Haystack because I'm a deep thinker and I like to challenge old traditions to make way for a brighter future. That's also why I chose to get my degree from Avondale University College. With a thriving community of believers, I was able to kickstart my career and grow my faith at the same time. Business, arts, teaching, nursing or ministry. Called to make a difference? Called to be at Avondale. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. Absolutely, but we are not alone today. We have a friend. Everybody, please say hi to Catalina. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. I must say that intro, it, it just always makes me smile. And to be able to watch you guys with me on the screen, it's like, wow, hello. That's <laughs> so very oh. flattering. <laughs> it's like muscle memory now. Wrist. My bucket list, I can pick it off. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's very nice. Um, yeah, it's like, I don't know. I've done it so many times. It just feels like total muscle memory now. Mm-hmm. I just like click in and yeah. don't even think about what I'm saying. But anyway, uh, yeah, well, hey, it's great to have you. Um, Catalina Arevalo or Arevalo. Yes. We couldn't decide before. Um, none of us could decide, which I find kind of funny <laughs> before we started. Uh, but you, I'm sure you guys have seen her around. She is um, the founder of the Connected Adventist podcast, which is a great podcast, very encouraging. Enjoy listening to it. And also, uh, more recently, the creator of the YouTube channel, SDA Insider. So, amazing. And now even a TikToker, I believe. (laughs) Really? I did not know this. Well, you you found out now. Um, Yes, (laughs) No, I am a TikToker. TikToker. I don't even know what the term for me is. I was about to say, I'll, yeah, I don't know how to say it, but what what is it that you TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> what ticks do you talk? <laughs> <laughs> Just the ones that tick. Just those uh, ones. <laughs> true. Uh, all right. Uh, Dad joke yeah. quota yeah. completely filled for the for the entire episode. All right. I thought I thought we'd just go to the next level. Totally. Like in case it wasn't lame enough, let's just go further. Um, <laughs> but and basically decided I wanted to go. I, I must say I was impressed by um, oh I don't know what his last name is. I've just missed it. But Pastor Kevin. So he does the chai mm. TikTok videos. Uh. Um, yes. So there's a bit of there's a bit of stuff going around um, from him at the moment, and after I saw just how powerful, um, I guess digital me like digital media, digital ministry is just so powerful in spreading any message. Um, and after listening to his story, I'm like, let me use that for the gospel as well. Mm. So I've decided that I wanted to start. Um, I channel a little bit about what I'm studying, but as well just about my own personal experiences, and then trying to make it gospelish at the end uh, to sort of make a little bit of a connection with some spiritual ideas and spiritual concepts. So it's um, my, I don't even know what my name, like, is it like a handle on TikTok? I don't use a name. Um, yeah, my yeah. username is uh, living with dot J, which is for living with Jesus. But uh, we're just going to be subtle like that and make it living with J. Living with J. 
I love it. I love it. Well, cool. I would follow you, but I, I um, I've taken a break from TikTok for a while. Yeah. Maybe permanently. I don't know. I just <laughs> got a bit too into it. Just anyway, that's me. That's that's a whole other story. But anyway, I'm glad. I love seeing people getting into all different digital mediums. Um, mm-hmm. so that's exciting. Uh, but I'm yeah, the same. So- I had to like. I almost feel like I needed to write like a law book for TikTok for myself <laughs> because I know. <laughs> Never will I, know I ever. My personality. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so addictive like, as well. Uh, a hundred videos later, I'm like, where did that hour just go with my <laughs> oh life? So, Seriously. Um, yeah, I have to be very, very, like, disciplined with yeah. my TikTok. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so, Kat, if people are not aware of um, any of the projects that you're involved with or founded, or all of them you founded, what uh, would you tell people about yourself and the sort of content that you create? Who is who is mm-hmm. Catalina? Arvalo. Who is um, she? So, so I, I, this is what I say within like Christian circles. I say that I'm an entrepreneur for the gospel. I'm willing to nice. give everything a go. Um, I've just always been someone that I don't care to fail and I'm willing to learn. So, yeah, I may not be any good at any of the things that I do, but I'm <laughs> oh. willing to give it a go. And, um, you know, I think with any entrepreneur in business, you know, they have many failures before they make it um, mm. in terms of what we would, you know, classify as success or, you know, they've reached their million or their billion or whatever it is. And I'm, I have that same sort of mindset for anything that I do in terms of my ministries. I just want to make sure that I am putting myself in positions where I can see where God really wants to bless um and if that's through tiktok let it be and if it's off something else i'll continue trying until um i know that god has has me where exactly where he wants me and the ministry that he wants me to be in so yeah um my motto in life is anything for the gospel till i give my last breath and Mm. i you could say i have no shame some people are like oh you're just so confident i'm like it's actually not confidence. I just don't care to be embarrassed and I don't care to stuff up. And well. I'm willing to keep going until I feel like, yeah, this is this is where God is really wanting me to be. Um, mm. So, yeah, so that's pretty much, yeah. I think that's so key because like part of that entrepreneurial thing, it has to be that no fear of failure, you know, because mm-hmm. most, most, most people that I know who are like really, they have an idea they often will never try it. I mean, I'm speaking about myself here uh, as well. Um, you know, you won't try it because what if I, what if it sucks? You know, what if it, what if it doesn't pan out? What if it fails? But um, not, not having that fear of failure is, uh, is, is, is so cool. Um, and I think it really speaks to what you've, you've created over a very short span of time. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Connected Adventists is that? Did you start that last year or the year before? So I would be two years in November. Two years in November. Wow! 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 Yeah. It feels yeah. like yeah. it feels like just the other day that it started, and all the like all the Adventist podcasts started because I mean, when Josh and I started Burn the Haystack, there was like nothing. We we were kind of like. Mm-hmm. Oh. I don't know if this is like even a thing. And then suddenly mm-hmm. all these yeah. things started sprouting. We're like, oh, I guess that everybody else kind of had the same idea at the same time. But yeah. that's cool. That's so cool. Um, could you talk to us? Tell us a little bit about uh, Connected Adventists. And then I, I also want to hear about SDA Insider. Yeah. So the podcast was basically, I mean, if I'm truly like completely honest with you, I, 
I always wanted to go into digital space, but it was in the too hard basket. Um, I knew mm. there were different things that I could use, you know, either be a YouTube channel. I used my social media, my Facebook account uh, for quite a bit of like personal outreach, but I wanted to get into something that was a bit more outreach type on other platforms, but it just seemed a bit too hard. And I just didn't have the motivation to really have to learn software and have to learn how to do things. So I sort of left it for quite a while and was involved in another ministry, which is um, about community service and establishing community service in local churches. So I was doing quite a bit of that. And then, um, yeah, November, two years ago, I remember listening to some um, Oz Table Talks podcast that, and they mm-hmm. did an interview with uh, Justin Coe, I think it is. I always mm-hmm. say Q, but it's Coe, I think. Um, <laughs> and he talked about in that interview, he's like, you know what? I've got a YouTube channel, but if I could, if I had to start again, or if I had to choose another option, he's like, I'd go into podcasting. Mm. And I thought, what this guy, he's like so well known within like the YouTube space for being like a Christian YouTuber that I was like, why podcasting? And I thought, oh, you know what? That's probably easiest. Let me start there. So Mm. that's when the podcast started. But I must say that the big motivator that got me through into getting and actually doing something with the podcast was the fact that um, I was going through a lot of stuff at that time. And I, I'm the type of person when I go through stuff, my mind is, is literal torment and it doesn't switch off unless I'm really proactive about thinking about things, doing things or like, I just need to be busy in order for me to not deal with that. So that's basically when I'm like, all right, let me do a podcast because then at least I can be thinking about the podcast instead of the stuff that's going on. And it was just a really good distraction. And so I think it was the combination of, I need a distraction. I need something else to keep me busier. And just listening to Justin that I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, And then that was it. So then I started the podcast and I felt really impressed just to share my journey um, for those who don't know me or don't know my spiritual walk. I came from an extremely conservative Seventh-day Adventist faith. Um, and this was not through family. I became a Seventh-day Adventist, or at least I started attending the Seventh-day Adventist church when I was 14. And um, it, it was just, I just went to church. It was just that kind of thing. But then at around the age of 21, I'd been married for two years and um, yeah, stuff happened in life. And I decided, you know what, we're just going to do this for real. And we're going to be serious Christians. And we're going to be like dedicated to our Lord. Um, and we just started hanging around with people who were from the extremely conservative end of Adventism. And that basically was the direction that we took. And when I started the podcast, I had been wrestling with a lot of ideas and things that I was holding onto that I was like, you know what, I don't know how legit all this stuff is in terms of what is really presented throughout the Bible and where God wants me as an individual. And so as I wrestled through a lot of that stuff, I thought, you know what, I really want to share on my podcast what it looked like to go from extremely conservative where I didn't own a pair of pants, I didn't own shirts that uh, were longer, uh, were shorter than like, three-quarter length, so they all went past my elbow. Um, Hmm. Yeah, and that's just just to give you an idea of that's the type of Adventist that we were. And, yeah, I wanted to share that journey and and how God was bringing me to where he wanted me to be rather than these, I call them like trends we have within Adventism and how I was going to better represent Christ through my own personal experience. So that's pretty much the podcast. Wow. Yeah, um, one thing I've really appreciated about your podcast is you're very – you're very like, I mean, some episodes you're quite raw, which I really appreciate, yeah. but you're just very open about the a journey and you're, it's cool to see your journey. I, I, I listened to one of yours recently about um, 
swimming on Sabbath. And I found it just funny, like the journey, like you can he- really hear the journey in the story as you tell it. And um, I think it's cool. I, I, I actually, I really appreciate people just sharing, like not necessarily an expert, you know, in, in things, but just, hey, here's the journey that I'm on and mm-hmm. maybe it'll be helpful to you. I, I'd actually like to see that in more. And I think that's, mm-hmm. there are so many mediums in which you can do that. It's. I think it's a really great thing that a lot of people would probably benefit from, and I think it also helps you, helps you grow when you have an opportunity to talk about it. This is what um, I mean. Jesse and I doing this I, podcast. I think we've grown a lot just in the conversations yeah. we've been forced to have yeah. because of the medium that we're in. Yeah, yeah. and so maybe you felt yeah. the same. Yeah, and I, and it's been the same, and I think just the community that I have built through the transparency, and mm. and I've always been like that. Like sometimes people are like how did you feel about, you know, talking about masturbation? I'm like, like, I'm, I'm, I have no issue because yeah. I, I, I've, I've just always seen my walk as I'm not the only one. Yeah. And I've right. always been like, if I can share my experience with someone with the possibility of, you know, making a full out of myself or being extremely embarrassed or people looking at me in a certain type of way, because now they know certain stuff about me. I just, it just doesn't bother me. Like I, I don't care. I, from a very early age, I had to stand for my faith against my family because my family, I was the only Adventist in my family. Um, mm-hmm. and I remember standing up for very seventh day Adventist beliefs or biblical beliefs. And my parents are like, don't you just want to go like smoke some weed? Like, do you want to get drunk? <laughs> like I'll go, buy. like I had my parents trying to do <laughs> well, this yeah. and like push me to do certain things. So from 14, I was like, I don't care what anyone says or thinks about me. And I do like people, I don't want to give this idea that I don't, I'm insensitive to anything like that. It does still affect me. But in terms of using my story to help someone, I have no shame. Like I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to share. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. And probably something that's been uh, often missing from our church. I think a lot of people, you know, particularly you think about uh, showing up to church on, on Sabbath and it's very, um, show your best, hide the rest kind of thing. Yes. Um, and that's yeah. a, as well the kind of Instagram culture we live in too. So, yeah, it's probably something that's missing that a lot of people, yeah, I don't know, we, we could definitely use more of, I mm. think, Yeah. Um, yeah. from a range yeah. of perspectives. So, I, I am interested, yeah. Kat, if you could kind of describe where you are now versus where you were two years ago, how would you describe sort of you, like in terms of when you first started, who is – are you the same cat? Are you a different cat? What do you think? Um, I definitely say I've changed. Um, I will always say though, that even within my very conservative ideas of Christianity, um, and I always say this, I always give this disclaimer, like I may not be completely accurate in my perception of this, but I was never the type of person that needed to force people to be like me, dress like me, think like me, eat like me, read like me, watch like me. I, I never, I never gave that, or I feel I never was intentional about converting people to my conservative beliefs. When someone did ask me a question, I would always share with them why I was where I am. And I feel I'm still the same. Um, if someone asks me, Hey, why do you wear skirts? You know, that are, that are short now when I used to not own one skirt, I did not own one (laughs) skirt that was (laughs) shorter than ankle length. Like there was nothing that was shorter than that. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I will tell you why if you ask. Um, and I think I'm still the same in terms of my belief systems, in terms of where I am. I think probably the greatest thing that I have learned in the last two years, I think is. One, 
our heart is extremely deceitful and it is wicked. Um, I know from my own personal journey in the past two years, I have realized the extent of where my heart can go if I choose to let go of God. And I don't think I've ever seen my heart in that place. I've never seen it through that lens because life's circumstances never allowed for it to look uh, for me to see through that lens. Um, But that's probably one thing I'm very much aware of who I am as a person Mm -hmm. and a person in this great controversy. Mm -hmm. But in amongst that, I think God has just really given me such a greater clarity of who he is. He's opened my eyes to see him and experience him in a way that I had never experienced had I not seen the condition of my heart, had I not seen of what I was capable as a human without Christ. I think now I can see just the goodness of God in the light of who I am. So, Mm. yeah, that's Mm. probably the biggest things that have changed. Um, Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I could, I could just listen to that all day. All right, um, really good. Hey, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about SDA Insider and what that's, what that's yeah. all about? So SDA Insider, again, give my credit to uh, Justin Coe. Uh, he basically did a workshop. We went to Digital Discipleship um, in the Gold Coast and I met you Ooh. guys there and realized how tall you guys were. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you don't realize people's heights when you see them on screens or when you no. hear their voice. Um, so we were there and he gave a presentation. And I remember I was, I was wanting to go into YouTube. I felt comfortable hearing my voice on a podcast and I felt I could probably now feel comfortable with people looking at me through a camera um, and through a screen. So I was, I was trying to work out what I was going to do with my channel, the direction I wanted to go. So I initially felt impressed to do... Uh, just a series on the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So I recorded about 15 uh, videos of that and then went to digital discipleship. And then I felt like, who am I to even do this thing? I was so discouraged because they were just such talented, creative people at that conference and people who just did things properly. You know, they had the skills, uh, they had the training, they've gone to like uni and, you know, they have degrees for this kind of stuff. And then I'm like, who am I? Like really? Um, so I came out discouraged, but Justin's cute in his workshop, he talked about the fact that if you do a YouTube search or a Google search, uh, about the Seventh-day Adventist church, the majority of the content that is on there is actually really negative about the Seventh-day Adventist church. There's very little positive, um, results when we search about our church. And he said that, you know, part of his mission for his YouTube channel was to be like a positive representation of Adventism. And that's when I I prayed about it a lot. And I was like, God, you know what? Maybe just let me see what I should do. And I just, I just felt impressed to just Google and YouTube, the most popular asked questions about the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I just give a practical short, like five to 10 minute answer. um, And I just clarify like what the Adventist church really looks like. So I called it the SDA insider because I wanted it to be like a little like conspiracy theory, like someone, oh, they're exposing. <laughs> yeah, I so I wanted, I did want to, I did want to trap people with that kind of idea. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it literally is me just sitting right here. This is my backdrop and yeah. I just answer their questions. So I've done a YouTube video on do um, Adventists drink coffee, uh, why Adventists don't eat meat, um, who is Ellen White, yeah, and some of those. Oh, uh, uh, Seventh Day Adventist Mormons. So I'm about to do one. Our Seventh Day Adventist Jehovah Witnesses. So just basically answering: um, Are we or aren't we? Or why do we believe certain things and why yeah. don't we? Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's really cool. 
Yeah. Which is really good for like, as far as I know about YouTube algorithms and stuff, well, it's the second biggest search engine in the world. So yeah. doing stuff based off a question like that is very effective. Yeah. So mm-hmm. really yes. good. Yeah, really good uh, leaning into the platform there. Very impressed, Kat. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did do quite a bit of research. So I didn't just, I didn't just actually, well, God didn't just put it on my mind. But yeah, I did do a lot of research as to how to word questions the best, how to make my thumbnails really clickbait. So my thumbnails are a lot more clickbait than the titles. <laughs> Other titles are actually more of an explanation, but um, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and just to, I guess, move along in the, uh, the, the roller coaster television series that is the life of Cat, um, you also. <laughs> You also have taken another leap uh, recently, recently-ish into a, uh, a new career pathway. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, this year, well, last year I decided I was going to go into full-time study and um, I am currently studying for a Bachelor of Social Work and Human Behavioral Science. So I'm in my second trimester of that. And yeah, like I was telling you guys, I love it. I'm like, I get to do this for six hours a day. It's great. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> do you have a local <laughs> university that you're going to? Or are you doing it online? What's the... No, so um, I, it's online through Griffith University, mm-hmm. but I do get to go into our local university in Bundaberg, uh, which is Central Queensland University. They, Because we're in a rural area, they allow online students to go onto their library. So I'm mm-hmm. able to use their premises. So I just drop the girls off at school and then go there. And for all of our overseas listeners, um, if you're ever in Australia and you see a small bottle labeled Bundaberg ginger beer, it is the best ginger beer <laughs> ever. So that's one of the many great things to come out of Bundaberg. I was so. I was <laughs> going to make a joke about you paying for your uni fees through rum or ginger beer, whether that was an acceptable <laughs> currency or not. Or I sugar. Thought- yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of sugar in that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And, so yeah. I'm actually an hour out from Bundaberg. So I drive an hour wow. in every morning and an hour back. So. Wow. Wow. Living in tiny New Zealand, I cannot imagine doing that sort of commute anymore. I think it's so funny here. Everywhere to drive anywhere is like 10, 15 minutes, at least where I'm living. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, where you are, yeah, yeah, I mean, where I a little bit more for me, but yeah, still like the thought. I mean, I remember I used to just casually drive from Melbourne to Sydney for a weekend. You yeah. know, yeah, that's like a ten-hour drive. I can't even imagine doing that anymore. Like, yeah. it's so yeah. crazy to me. But that's just what life <laughs> is like. Yeah. yeah. So, so Bundaberg is really tiny as well. So my university is on the other side of Bundaberg, and the girls' school is on the opposite end. Oh. So I leave at three o'clock which is like rush hour with school pickups. I leave my uni at three o'clock and I've made it to the girls' school by 3.15. Wow. And nice. Yeah, it worked out really well because they're like, don't pick us early because we like to play with all the kids at the end after school. So <laughs> it takes me 15 minutes in like rush pickup, school pickup time to, to get over to them. Uh, that's awesome. Crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so, so in particular with your social work um, degree that you're doing, uh, you were talking to us a little bit beforehand about the idea of privilege and all that sort of stuff. So do you want to lead us in? Because we're kind of getting to this point. Um, just so everybody knows, Kat asked us to do some homework. So 
I just want to let everybody know that usually when we have a podcast guest, we send them <laughs> questions um, for them to answer. In this case, Kat sent us questions to answer. So I feel like this is kind of like a hostile takeover almost. <laughs> but uh, do, you want, do you want to explain to us exactly where your head's at? And I think that's going to lead into this very interesting discussion that we're going to have. Okay, I will. I will. So... Um, when I was invited by both of you to jump on and come and join you for the podcast, you sort of asked, hey, what would you like to discuss? And I must say, like my social work stuff is just something I'm really excited about. I think it's just because it has really, I think it just has done a lot of stuff in my own personal head and my own personal way of thinking that I'm like, let me just share this wherever I can. Um, and one of the things that I did want to talk about was this idea of privilege. And the reason why I wanted to speak to, and, and I will honestly tell you, when I sit through my lectures, I'm writing down notes and my notes are like, and Jesus did that. <laughs> and then, you know, it'll talk about like marginalized communities. And I'm like, uh, the lepers and the Gentiles were that. Like I always tie it back to biblical ideas and my biblical worldview. So I wanted to discuss that a little bit. And I guess in the context of Christianity, in the context of Adventism, <clears throat> But in order to, for us to really have that discussion, we have to be able to look at some areas of our lives that play into these like power structures or these structures that mean justice. And I could have asked you on the spot, hey, are there any situations where you guys have experiences? But it just doesn't. I, I think if I put you on the spot while we're recording, it wouldn't have been as thought through as if I had have sent you the question. So I was like, well, in order to have this conversation in the best way and in the best light, um, it was probably best to send you the questions off before. So right. I wanted to ask you of two situations or one situation, however many um, you want to share, of where you have felt that you have experienced privilege. Now, privilege, based on what I have been learning through my um, course, is basically unearned or unmerited benefit or advantage over another person, another group, or an organization. And then I asked you, hey, have you ever felt oppression? And oppression is basically not being heard, not being represented, or not having an equal value or representation either through race, through culture, or belief. So do you want to share your privilege situations or scenarios? Mm, no. We, <laughs> no. I, I, <laughs> I personally really struggle. Like, I don't know. Both of these questions I felt like, I don't know if I've ever, yeah, I don't know if I've ever really felt super like, like privileged, but... Some people listening to this might be like, well, you're just blind. You haven't seen it or whatever. But I don't know. I was honestly really thinking hard about it. I thought of one. Uh, yeah. And I was thinking about like, it was when I was talking to a colleague in ministry who is a woman and she shared to me about her journey and what she had to do in her internship and what she had to do to get picked up and get an internship and everything and, and her, in her employment and it sounded way more intense than what I've had to do. And mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think it was just because she I don't think it's because she was in a different internship. I think quite often and like when I've talked to other guys and other people in ministry generally, I've felt like because I'm a guy, I've had an easier time getting my foot in the door with ministry and doing ministry in general. Like mm. there are certain churches where women can't preach, but I can go and preach. And they were, I mean, some people yeah. don't like me preaching because I have long hair and whatever, but, um, but you know what I mean? Like I felt like 
that's probably the, the biggest one for me that I've actually felt like I've had privilege just because I'm a male in ministry compared to a female, which yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like. That's a valid but, one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very present, you know, we can definitely see that one. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And what about uh, you, Jesse? Yeah. Um, I went to, uh, so a few years ago, I was uh, evicted. We, Karina and I, my wife and I were evicted from our rental because the owner wanted to move in. And so we were scrambling to looking for a new place to rent. And I remember going to an open home for a rental um, with the agent and with a few other prescript, prescriptive, prospective um, renters. And uh, I didn't think about this. This is in New Zealand. Right. So um, I was there with three other people. Um, two of those people were Pacifica. Um, and one of those other people uh, was, I still remember him, a skinny, tall guy with a goatee and a really scraggly um, singlet. And y- you know, when you, you kind of see people and you kind of make a judgment call about their socioeconomic position based on what they're wearing based on the way they speak etc i remember being there with the real estate agent who is this quite prim proper middle-aged lady and there were these two pacifica people who were both looking at the house and this other guy who apparently owned a cat and he was talking about whether it'd be okay to have the cat in the property and there was there i was in not nice clothes but by comparison you know i'm a church pastor my wife is a, a school teacher. I was wearing a nice sweater and whatever. You know, I was driving a, 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 an okay middle of the road Mazda 3. The other people were turning up in these beat up 90s Corollas and, you know, somebody had something. And I very distinctly remember thinking, ah, oh, I think I'm going to get this rental based on mm. who these other people are. And sure enough, like a day later, the lady called up the, the the real estate agent called up saying, "Yep, you are you're in. You are the most, um, let's say, appropriate person to rent this house mm-hmm. or whatever." And I remember initially thinking, "Yes, you know, God's really taking care of me. Praise God." We were really struggling to look for a place, but then I thought, "Do I really deserve that place?" Mm-hmm. Based on who I was based on who else potentially could have gotten the place. And I remember feeling kind of dirty about it. Like I didn't deserve it, but apparently, apparently I did. Yeah. So that was one of the moments where I really understood um, sort of white, white privilege without, you know, the cliche of white privilege, but I, I really understood it then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's really important to have, like, just really think these situations through. So in our course, we have, for some courses, we have 400 students. For others, we have 500 students. Wow. And this is how we begin our course. Like, these are first-year subjects where we're told to sit down and think about our privilege and think about our oppression and how it is lived out, how it is observed and the evidence that we have for it. And the reason why they do that, and I will tell you, like I, I see our chat. So we have the lecture, you know, where they've got the lecture screens on the, 
on the session. And then you see the chat on the side where all the students are just chatting away about the topic, whatever. And I have seen so many of them that are like, I'm not privileged. I'm not privileged. I've yeah. never experienced privilege. And then you have other people who are like, I've been so oppressed. All I've ever experienced in my life is oppression. And as we continue, you know, week three, week four, everyone is like, I never realized I was so privileged. Wow. And then you have people that are like, oh, I have been oppressed my whole life. I just thought that's how society functioned. Mm. I didn't realize that that, what I get, the way I get treated, the way people respond to me, that that is actually a form of oppression. So the reason why we want to discuss this topic and it always, and you know, our lecturers are very intentional about making us aware of privilege before we're aware of oppression was because then we can see how these two power structures are always together. In order for me to experience privilege, I must experience, someone has to experience oppression. Mm. Now, taking it back to biblical like ideologies and, and biblical teachings, privilege in itself is not something that is evil. Um, mm. Israel experienced an abundance of privilege that God gave to them. So privilege, um, and I guess in, in all sense, whether it's through race, whether it's through gender, whether it's, you know, whatever, we can see that there are reasons for certain things and it actually isn't evil in itself. It's how we use that privilege and the impact that it has on those that are the, um, the, superior, the, the inferior or the less dominant group. And because of that, then we have this, this idea of power structures, then we have people that abuse their privileges, and then we have oppression of different people. So in its sense, we have to understand that society runs through social structures that impact how we interact with other people. And that's why it's called sociology. We're looking at how societies function. Um, and then there's theorists who have set up, oh, well, you know, this is functionalism and we need to have systems of privilege and oppression in order to function. We need to have a president who then tells, you know, the people underneath them how to function and the people underneath them tell them. So we need to have hierarchy, mm. that hierarchy. But then we have this other thing, which is called conflict theory which says, no, if we didn't have those power structures, if we didn't have those systems, then everyone would be the same. Everyone would be equal. And we wouldn't have this, this concept of oppressing another person because we need to do that in order to have what we have. And it gets into like capitalism and socialism and all that sort of stuff, but we're not <laughs> going to go there. But <laughs> yes, privileges are there. And ultimately we have to have a look at what is our part in that um, specific area and how does that influence us as Christians and even within the church space. I look at all this stuff and I see how much of it is present in our churches. I mean, I have to admit, there is a privilege that I experiencing right now because I am one of your guests. Why was I picked over someone else? Why didn't someone else who maybe has graduated from their degree and have probably a ton more experience than me but there's a privilege that's attached to me because I'm already a podcaster. We connected through the fact that I am a podcaster. That's the only way you found out about me. Um, so there, there's, there's privileges and there's benefits that aren't necessarily harmful, but we want to have a look at the reasons why some, some privileges do result in oppression and result in, you know, the mistreatment of another human being. Mm. So what were your examples of oppression? Yeah, Jesse, do you want to go first this time? Yeah, yeah, sure. I actually, my, I've got, I've got an oppression. I've been oppressed. I've been oppressed, um, and I've been privileged for exactly the same thing, which I find quite mm. interesting. So, um, I'll, I'll quickly touch on the privilege side. So, uh, two years ago, I was selected um, by a New Zealand Pacific Union uh, committee 
to be a delegate for the um, General Conference World Session this year, which of Mm -hmm. course didn't end up happening. Um, But I was a bit confused as to why I was selected. And um, I I eventually figured out that I was selected because of my age, because in the demographic makeup of our union, they needed certain people who fit a certain age bill. And Mm -hmm. I was selected based on that, not because of merit or because I was selected because they thought, you know, Jesse is going to be the best representation of our union simply because of my age. Um, and, and young pastor sort of thing. So, but then to flip it on the other side, um, and this is a bit of a tongue in cheek oppression. This is not entirely serious, but so in my current region, I am, um, the youngest pastor by about 40, 40 years. 30, 40 years, right? Um, Before I was here, Josh um, lived in my region. He was about the same. Um, And amongst my my colleagues, I always feel like I my voice is the one that's never heard because Mm. because of because I'm a young whippersnapper sort of thing. So it's not oppression in the sense of a deep sort of injustice. Um, you know, you know, like I'm being, you know, my the boot of the the hierarchy is on my neck or anything like that. Um, but I definitely feel in certain arenas, my age and my demographic, my my gender, my profession, they stack up to 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 uh, disproportionately ad- advantage me, but in other arenas, it kind of disproportionately disadvantages me at the same time, which is a very strange dynamic to, to, to live within. Also, the fact that I'm an Australian living in New Zealand and um, yeah. many New yeah. Zealanders are quite open about their disdain for Australia. Um, and we do the same. Yes, yes, exactly. I remember yeah. being an Aussie, living in New Zealand, uh, mocking the Kiwi accent all the time, and now that script has been flipped on me. So it's a very, mm-hmm. it's a very strange, uh, mm. yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's really valid. Even though you said, you know, it, it's not like maybe a severe oppression that you that you face, but so in order for us to have oppression, there has to be a privilege, and that privilege is associated to that oppression. So there are seven levels of privilege, and one of those privilege is actually age. So there is a privilege of age in wherever you find yourself. So if I go and play lawn bowls, there is going to be a privilege of age where the seniors are going to look at me and they'll be like, you young one, what are you doing over here? And then it would be the reverse. If there was like an elderly person that came and joined, I don't know, came to the skate park, they would get treated a certain type of way. So there is a discrimination that is is present Mm. as a result of ageism. Um, there's health and ability, which comes to people that have uh, disabilities. So there is also a privilege that I have that I can go anywhere. I can go on a hiking track. I can go and see a lookout and I don't have to think about the fact, can I climb those steps? Can my wheelchair fit in that? So there's Mm. different levels. Education is another one, Mm. which often comes to this idea of, well, if you have a degree, then you can, you know, take that position or you can have that role um, depending on where you've also studied. So some universities, and I've realized that now as I'm in university, some universities are valued more than other universities. So there's this, there's a privilege that comes attached to me having a degree and having a degree in one of the more common, um, more popular universities. There's another privilege, which is the privilege of professionalism. 
How much experience do you have, you know, within the church context? How many baptisms do you have? How many churches have you planted? What's your church membership? Um, so that's another level of privilege. The other one is social economic status. So, hey, how wealthy are you? Uh, we have a, dis- a way of discriminating against people based on, you know, what are they wearing? What car do they own? Uh, what suburb do they live in? What kind of a house they have? Um, and then the last one is this two more. So sexuality and orientation, again, is a privilege. And then the last one is race and origin. Mm. So you'll be surprised that in a lot of situations where we feel either oppression or privilege, they fall into those distinct categories that have been identified. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's still very valid and it's it's very true like that your experience would look like that. Mm. Um, Josh, what about you? Yeah, uh, I would say the, the times when I've felt more, yeah, more on the oppressed side uh, was probably, I don't know, it's probably more around political stuff. I think, mm-hmm. um, I think particularly of, um, some friends were having a discussion about abortion recently, and I don't want to get into mm-hmm. that on this podcast at all right now, but I went to go and just say something. It didn't matter what my view was, whether I was pro or against, but they instantly just cut me off and said, no, you can't, you can't comment on this cause you're a male, you know? Mm. And I thought, wait, yeah. I can't even have an opinion or share an opinion just because I'm male. I don't know. Yeah. That time I felt like, man, that's so weird that like to me, this is a big thing and I can't even speak to it because of my gender. Yeah. I don't know if that's right or wrong, whatever. But, you know, I just felt, I remember the feeling at the time and the same with when we had the vote on um, the the plebiscite in Australia on gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just felt like. And again, whatever my views are, it doesn't matter. But I yeah, did feel matter. like <laughs> there were views that couldn't be shared at the time. Yeah. And I remember like yeah. feeling at the time like, man, you can't. It was like it felt like illegal on social media to have a different opinion than the, the big mainstream. You know what I mean? And it was just like a weird like. And I was at the time, I guess, still trying to work out how I felt about the whole thing. because There were so many things going on um, and it didn't even feel like I could. I could do that, you know, which was weird to feel like you, you can't form an opinion other than this one. Yeah. I don't know. And, and we'll face it, yeah, anyway, yeah that on. is actually one of the aspects of like social injustice is when you are actually not allowed to express your opinion. And so that is basically called like a failure of a misrepresentation where you're not represented, you're not considered, uh, your values are not um yeah, they're just something that people don't want to consider because it is not mainstream. Um, so you mm-hmm. have that. There's a the there's a failure of distribution of resources as well, which is you know not giving the same access to certain people for certain services or you know finances and things like that. Um, but when it comes to that, your specific point, like I see how people interact in my secular university. And they find the same sort of challenges. Like they find that, you know, all of a sudden now some people can speak, but other people can't. And if your mm-hmm. opinion is contrary to the dominant group, um, which I will I will tell you all right now, Christianity is becoming the inferior group. Uh, we are not yep. um, representing, we're not being represented as the dominant as we have for many generations. Yeah. And as a result, anything that may be contrary to what is the new norm um, is going to come about with, you know, some discrimination, marginalization, and all those things that we are trying to stand against for is going to be experienced by Christians because of the shift in the culture so much um, that is very different to what we see as Christians and what we believe as Christians. So um, I think it's going to become more popular or it's going to be definitely common 
that, yeah, people aren't going to be able to express certain belief systems or even values because of the fact that it is contrary to the flow of where the culture is going. Mm. So, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't like the idea. I mean, I don't like the idea of like Christianity's voice in culture not being heard, but I, I would want to share that and say I think all religions' voices should be heard in a culture, you know, like even if I don't agree with them, I think it's, it should be something that is valued in the way we the way our culture is stitched together. Um, and so yeah. I, if it's happening to us, I don't want it happening to any, anybody. I don't want, a, I don't want yeah. a, a Muslim to feel like they can't share their views or whatever. Like I think we all should be able to at least share, you know, and it should be okay to people be like, yeah, okay, I don't agree with that because I don't share the religion or that same worldview, but at least you can share it. You know, I, I don't know, mm. which is yeah. challenging. And, and I, see, I see that that our lecturers throughout every, because the discussions get heated. You think Christian conversations get heated? <laughs> you should see them with like people who just like, I'm going to tell you how it is and I don't care to have put a filter or put a Christ-likeness to what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I've been in the wow. discussions. We've had people literally walk out of lectures, like, online walkout they just leave the session um wow. because they were just like i'm not putting up with that type of behavior i'm not putting up with that type of those types of comments and they're just it's definitely it happens um so it's not just within our church context that people just can't have those difficult conversations but i do see that the lectures are always emphasizing and especially for us as social workers because whatever my worldview is whatever my perspective is when i am working with a client i can't be so insensitive and so narrow-minded that because you don't believe in my God and you don't see morals and living and stuff the way that I see it, then we're going to clash. So it's called cultural humility. It's understanding your culture, understanding your belief and your worldview, not necessarily agreeing with it, but understanding that every decision that you make will be filtered through that. And mm. that doesn't mean that it's right or wrong, but rather it just means, hey, you're always going to see things very different to how I see it. And I'm willing to understand that that is your culture, that is your identity, that is your belief system. Um, mm. And I think within the church, as I see that and as I try to apply that, I think that's where we're at, where we're trying to understand that people are always going to have different doctrinal views to us. But can we still just focus on the, the few things that we do have in common, that we believe in the gospel, that we believe in the work of Jesus Christ, and that, you know, for many of us, we believe that we're going to heaven. And that Jesus is going to come and take us home. So, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. And just being able to really filter it through Christianity, I've just learned so much. And I look at the Bible and I just see, and especially through the life of Jesus, like he was such a social justice advocate. He was there for the people who would be marginalized, discriminated, exploited, um, that they were powerless. He's just constantly doing a work to try and fix the, the impact that sin has had on our world. Um, and I think, yeah, mm. God continues to call each one of us to be practical in that as well. Mm. Wow, that's cool. What's your take on the the whole, you know, there seems to be this whole dichotomy between like systemic, the, the systemic um, effects of whatever it is, oppression or, um, yeah, versus this idea of personal responsibility, um, it seems to be it seems to be a more of a liberal mindset versus a more conservative mindset, um, and I've been really challenged on this recently because um, look, I I used to be a huge Jordan Peterson fan, um, and I'm not I'm not not 
a, a fan anymore. I still appreciate a lot of what Audi has to say. But one of the things that he has really emphasized, and I used to fully and like totally live my life by, is the this whole idea of personal responsibility of there is nothing you cannot achieve if you don't clean your room, you know, get your life together, make the right choices, make the right healthy choices and, you know, be a whole person. The reason that has been challenged is especially seeing sort of many of the things that are happening in the US right now, how systems of oppression are really have disadvantaged different people groups, especially African-American people groups for decades. Absolute, you know, even post, um, you know, Lincoln sort of era, freeing the slaves, etc. cetera, um, even post uh, segregation, uh, how certain people groups have been incredibly disadvantaged on a systemic level has made me stop and go, okay, if it's happening there, then it, it's happening everywhere. And maybe I'm just blind to this idea. Um, I know that's a very long-winded way to ask that question, but I'm just, uh, this is where I'm coming from going, maybe pulling myself up by my bootstraps is fine for me, but it may not mm-hmm. be fine for everybody. So where, yeah, where do you see those two ideas sort of intersecting? Can they live together or are they just diametrically opposed to each other? Um, I'm going to say that I agree with both. And the only reason why I say that is because we have, we have enough experiences. We have enough examples of where people have been able to overcome crazy amounts of adversity, crazy amounts of, um, things that we would be like, how can you be here today? And, you know, still be functioning like a normal human being, paying your bills, going to work, having a family. Um, so I think it it is possible but we need to understand, I feel that for people who have stepped out and been able to achieve and accomplish all those things, I think they deserve two gold medals because mm-hmm. of the fact, and it comes down to equity, um, which is, is most commonly known as um, equality, but equality and equity are two very different things. Um, but when someone from a disadvantaged area is able to succumb and as like overcome so many things that were against them and to still achieve what a normal person normal person, mm. as in, you know, someone who hasn't had all those disadvantages, then they honestly have, have worked a lot more to be able to get to the place where maybe the rest of society would normally be. Um, when it comes to systemic systems of oppression, I think that they are there. They existed. We see it through the pages of the Bible. The Jews were very, very harsh on setting up oppressive systems that were basically disqualifying anyone to salvation. Mm -hmm. And yes, did people push back against that? Yeah, we have the Protestant movement, we have the early church. So there are definitely examples where people were able to bypass all those, you know, lies and systems and, you know, all the power structures, but it would take a lot more. They were persecuted because they decided to go against the religious system at that time. And I think that... The, the systemic oppression that is seen within our culture is very real and they are fortified structures. And for people to be able to come out of that, it's not impossible, but it takes a lot. It takes a lot and not everyone can do that. Um, I have worked with some people with mental health issues. I have seen people that, you know, you could say they had a really easy life, but something happened and they weren't able to get past that. 
And that was not because of systemic oppression. That was because in themselves, they just weren't able to have that. That's why we have support services for people when they have experienced certain trauma, they need support. But then another person who was raped, who was violated, who was molested can come out and still have like a normal life and be able to, you know, switch off all that trauma and still live a normal life. But someone else who experienced similar situations needs support workers and they're not able to so I think we have to look at it on the individual um, aspect, which is, again, so when we go like to functionalist theory, which is basically that we all have to function and we need these hierarchies and society can only function if we have like a president and, you know, someone that collects our rubbish. We need those high systems and low systems. Functionalism just looks at the broad picture, just says everyone should be able to and everyone should be okay where we need to look at the personal um, impact that all these systems have on people. Yeah, we can say, you know, but I grew up in a house and, you know, my parents were split up and, you know, I had an alcoholic parent and, and look at me today. That's mm. fine. Like you, you have worked real hard and you have earned everything that you have. But there are some people who don't have that same grit. They don't have that same um, resilience towards things like that. And as a result, we have to see that, you know, it doesn't mean that it negates the impact of those things, but rather you are an exception to the case. Um, and I guess that's just the way that we have to look at, at any of those systems. They're there and they have had detrimental impacts on generations. But yes, there are definitely people who have been able to pull themselves out of that and be like, you know what, I'm not going to let that affect me. I'm not going to let that be my story and my kid's story. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. I I think it's I, I I like that answer that it's 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 not necessarily either or, but it is it is both. And because I've seen, I, I think I'm the same. I've seen people who live their whole life just blaming the system and never taking personal responsibility. And you're like, well, come on, like. But then there's other people who genuinely do their best and they make their best. But honestly, they were kind of dealt a bad hand, and it was really hard to get out of it. But they worked with what they could. Yeah. So it's it's a complicated world. I don't know. This stuff's so complicated. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And I must say, I think just as I'm working more and more with, like, social workers and um, in the academic area, I just see so much of we have all these services. We have so many things in place to help, like, Indigenous communities. Why? because they have been damaged so much more than everyone else. Now there's al alcohol prevention for everyone else. There's all these other services for everyone else, but there is, there is an intentional desire to provide those services for indigenous communities because they have experienced a lot more trauma. And I don't think we who have not experienced that or who have not lived through that really understand what it's like. I remember I had a friend, um, she was working in, uh, Burke out in Outback uh, Australia and I remember going there and she had told me what it's like to sort of work in that area with indigenous like kids and stuff and I went out there and I must tell you I came out of that and I just understood how hard it is to be able to come out of that to be better than that uh, to be better than alcoholic parents parents who um, have experienced molestation have experienced domestic violence to generation like a generation to be stereotyped with the trauma that it has had and then for you to be the exception to the case mm. takes a lot 
a lot. And for a little kid, some of the biggest developmental stages in a lifespan are in those childhood years for a child to make the determined, like the determined choice to say, I'm not going to be like that when they're six and seven in order to change the path and the direction that their life is just expected to follow takes a huge, huge amount of awareness. And Mm -hmm. by the time they're, you know, in their like childhood years to early adolescence and youth and all that, if you haven't made a choice, like when you were 10, that you weren't going to have this, it's so much harder to be able to make a decision later on and to expect them, their life to be totally different. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really difficult and psychologically in terms of psychosocial and psychodynamic, um, perspectives, it's extremely hard. It's extremely hard. Hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's very convicting. Um, one last question for me, um, as a follower of Jesus, what is our sociological, um, what, what's what's our responsibility from a gospel point of view as an everyday Christian? This thing is often so politicized; it becomes a left and ro- left versus right issue. Um, it, we can blame so many things on why oppression and uh, all this stuff exists, but on a very basic level, what is the responsibility? perhaps unique to followers of Jesus that we have to make an impact in our world um, in, in, in this, in this space. Mm -hmm. So I will always refer to Micah six and verse eight, where it says that God has shown man what is good. And it is to do what the Lord has required, which was to act justly, to Mm. love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Mm. And I think they are the three principles that God has called each one of us When we look at the ministry of Jesus, he came to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free and to liberate those that were oppressed. Now, however I see that filter, whatever awareness God has given me of those particular aspects, God is calling me to help those that are brokenhearted. Everyone that is suffering from the impact of sin in the form of oppression and in the form of discrimination and marginalization um, and powerlessness and violence and all those things. God is calling me to be very active in the fact that I can, with my one-on-one interactions with people, help to bring an awareness of how that is not what God wanted for his children. That is not what God wanted for his creation. And um, within our social work structures, there are people who work within policies and there are people who work one-on-one with victims of social injustice. And I think we have to see where God has called us. Has he called us to work in within policies and, and trying to change, you know, those structures within our churches, within our communities? Or is he calling each one of us to individually work one-on-one when we see someone that is suffering from oppression, that is, is struggling through the fact that society is not cheering them on. Society has set up things that have made life a lot harder for them. Um, I know for myself coming to Australia, I guess, as an immigrant, um, there were a lot of things that I had to fight against. There are a lot of things that have impacted me from an early age. My dad knew English really well, but they worked three jobs. Uh, They worked, my dad worked as a mechanic and then did two night jobs in the evening with my mom. My mom didn't know English. So there are things about my English today that aren't the best because my parents came when I was six because they weren't able to correct me and say, no, sweetie, that's not how you pronounce this. Or 
um, Catalina, that's not how you spell something. I didn't have that. And then I came to a school where I didn't even understand the English. So I'm like trying to mm-hmm. learn English while trying to learn, you know, basic things that we need for education. So I've, I've had to go through certain things that people don't always look at. But at the same time, I can say that I am in a first world country thanks to the sacrifice that my parents made, uh, that they were willing to do what they did as immigrants and come to a country because ultimately they wanted a better future for myself. And I think that that is the role that we are all called for. There are things that we can actively do to make better the life of someone who is suffering and, and has not the abundant life that we, profet- we profess that God wants to give each one of us. So, yeah, be a policymaker or, or be a one-on-one person that just is active about trying to change those systems that we know are not from God um, and that are harming humanity. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, I guess it's important to stay informed is, is a good thing to like what's actually happening because a lot of us, I think, just go through the flow of the systems and policies without actually actively thinking, hey, is this a, like what God would want for, I don't know, our community mm-hmm. or our country or whatever, which is a hard question to ask, but you know what I mean? Like, is it actually benefiting? Mm. And it, yeah, it's pretty, pretty difficult. Um, are there ways that you can wrestle with that? I don't know if you know much about policies and all that, kind of, you know, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't really get much into politics, but I know that there is, even within our course, like a lot of our lecturers are really emphasizing, um, just to take care of yourself. Cause sometimes it can get very overwhelming when you look at just how messed up the world is and how far it is from God's ideal. And yeah. then to see our part in that and how we have helped those structures to come about or how we actually benefit from those structures. So then it means that I have to lose something. So there's a lot of us just, yeah, taking care of ourselves and how we look at all of those because it can be very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think I, I think some things can be just out of our reach in terms of the political space. Some things may yeah. seem completely out of our reach. But we can help. We can either help support those systems or we can push back on them by the way that we interact, by the way that we express ourselves, by the way that, um, yeah, we, we express our opinions or the way that we can come about bringing compassion on those particular types of people or groups that are experiencing the oppression. So, yeah, I guess it's a little varied and I don't think there is a correct answer that is just going to fix all the problems. But, yeah, just keep asking God to just give you compassion. Um, and as you gain compassion, you will see things through a different lens. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's good. That's it. I think that's a good place to land it, actually. Yeah, just that prayer for compassion and to constantly grow in that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Convicting for me as well. So, um, yeah, Jesse, do you have any more thoughts you want to share? No, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm good. I'm just, yeah, I'm sitting in this, and yeah, it's good. Yeah, this is great. Um, hey, Kat, was there anything that anything else you wanted to share before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. Happy? Thanks so much for your time. Uh, it was awesome to have you. We've been wanting to have you for a while. We were just kind of waiting for the right moment. So I'm glad the right moment is upon us and we're here and we've done it. it. It's been great. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And hey, um, I know we talked about it at the beginning and there's a number of ways people can follow stuff that you're doing. Um, but where would you want to direct people to? If people want to connect to you about some of the ideas that you shared or maybe go a bit deeper with this, what's, what's yeah, a way to do um, it? Probably my, probably my 
personal Facebook is where I tend to put everything on. So you'll get the connected stuff, the podcast stuff on there. Um, you'll get the SDA Insider stuff on there and my TikTok. So um, it's Catalina Navarro Arevalo. Um, so yeah, maybe find me. I'm friends with Josh and Jesse. So if you if you go on there and stalk their page, you'll be able to find me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Awesome. Uh, and hey, we'd love to hear from all of you guys. So yeah, if you had any thoughts on this episode, um, there are lots of things to think about from this episode. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, so make sure you get in contact with us um, and share. Maybe we'll have to get Kat on to uh, talk further about these ideas, depending on what you guys talk about. So um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So make sure you share with us. Uh, and to find everything Burn the Haystack, of course, you can go to burnthehaystack.org. You can find everything there that you need. Uh, and if this is the first time that you've listened to the podcast, uh, go and give Kat's podcast to listen to. Go and subscribe to her as well. Uh, and uh, But also subscribe to us. So just subscribe <laughs> to everybody. Okay. All right. We're just helping everybody out here. Um, share the love around like that. Share the love. Yep. Uh, and leave a rating or review um, that really helps us to uh, reach more and more people. So thank you for that. Absolutely. All right. We love you guys. Stay awesome. Stay compassionate. That is Josh, Jesse, and Kat.